Our scripture today is uh, John 21, 20 through 25. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And it said to him, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet if Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the Lord of the Lord. Thank you, Lane. Thanks, Amos, too. Um, man, I feel like sometimes you're on an airplane where it's excited to kind of, well, it used to be maybe excited that it would be full and stuff. And then once in a while you get on a flight where, like, it isn't as full and they say, like, hey, you know, feel free to stretch out. You can, like, lay in a row and stuff. And I feel like we're that way a little bit today. So if someone wants to just lay in a row, you can uh, recline uh, and enjoy yourself. But um, we are actually the last Sunday in the book of John. Um, this is the 54th sermon on the book of John. So it has been quite a journey. Um, the I feel too, if it's like, man, you must have scraped the barrel and you must have exhausted anything you could say about the book of John. And I think a lot of us would agree. I think we just, just touched the surface of the treasures that are in that book and uh, just the opportunity to go through the book. And if maybe this is your first Sunday here, uh, we do have them all on our website, sacredmission.church. We also have them in iTunes. And so if you wanted to go back and listen to a, a specific section, it's there. So this is the last day in the book of John. Next Sunday, we're kicking off a series called Rediscover Church. So, and maybe for some it would be Discover Church for the first time, but we're in a culture where most people, if you say church, they wouldn't be like, I've never heard of that word before. You know, if you say church, there's at least some idea that comes to mind. And so what we're looking at is a series coming up on like rediscovering, no matter if you have a PhD in church, <laughs> ecclesiology, or if, uh, if you're kind of new to the concept, like what is a church? Can I have a fresh vision of what a church is? Is church just a hour-ish long event every Sunday morning? Is that the extent of it? Or is it more than this? Is it something that we can kind of casually be affiliated with? Like, yeah, I, I kind of do the church thing over there once in a while. Or should we think of it differently? Um, in light of our post-COVID, post-even objective truth culture, is church outdated? Is church even a thing that we should fight for? Or should we surrender and just kind of reconceptualize everything? And so, um, you know, is church something to try to fit into our lives? Like, you know, do you feel like your life is so full, you got to use like a shoehorn, if anybody still uses those, to like try and like, like fit church in? Or is church our first priority 
that the rest of our lives need to be healthy? Um, How about leadership? Should there be leaders in the church? If so, who gets to pick? If so, what do they look like? And so we'll look into deacons and elders and what the Bible says about those and what the vision and uh, direction for Sacred Mission Church is. What does it look like here? Uh, And then we'll talk about several other things too. So if you have uh, friends that you've been wanting to bring with you to church, I'm not a fan of just inviting people to church because that can feel very much like, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. I kind of threw a like, well, you know, if you want to go there, you could, that's okay. Uh, But instead of be like, hey, come with us have lunch with us afterwards, like, like, you know, come with me to church. And, and this is a great series to say, come with me. And um, there is a book called Rediscover Church that was published recently by uh, Crossway Publishers. Colin Hansen is one of the, the main publishers of that book. He's a guy I've gotten to know a little bit, a uh, really genuine guy from small town, South Dakota. Um, his parents were actually came to Jesus through a church plant. Uh, much I talked to him about sacred mission. He was like, my parents like just met Jesus through a church plant really similar to you guys and stuff. Um, so it, there is a book called Rediscover Church that we'll, we have some copies right now. We're going to have a ton of copies of them and another book called What Church Can Be we'll have next Sunday. And I just want to also say we almost always walk through books of the Bible. Like that's just what we do, what we're convicted, like should be done is preaching through books of the Bible. There are times where we'll say like, hey, let's do a series on a particular topic. And it doesn't mean we say, let's just kind of put this thing on the shelf for a little while. Uh, We're still preaching scripture. (laughs) We're still preaching expositionally. We're expositing books of the Bible. But what we're doing is saying like, okay, as we draw out biblical truths, as we are guided in scripture, it will be on the area of rediscovering church. And so, so all that to say, like that starts next week. Uh, Let's be praying. My prayer is just that the Lord would deepen us as a church give us a, a fresh vision of what we're about. You know, we're, we're three years into being a church together and to say like, you know, hey, let's look a fresh way about like, where are we heading? Why are we doing this? And like, what could the Lord do as we, uh, as we are formed together? But today we are in John chapter 21. And if you remember two weeks ago, we've been in John chapter 21 for a little bit. Two weeks ago was the resurrection. Jesus appeared to the disciples, including Jesus' very special interaction with Thomas, where Thomas is like, I won't believe unless I can stick my hand in his side. And Jesus gave him such a beautiful moment, and he replied, my Lord, my God. Last Sunday, Jesus has a conversation that Peter's been dreading. The disciple Peter, who always was the toughest disciple, you know, like if one of the disciples was like, you know, going to be in a fist fight uh, with some other people, like you wanted Peter to be with you, it seemed like. He always seemed like the toughest disciple. But when the moment came for Peter to be strong, he was weak. When the moment came for Peter to step up to the plate, he was nowhere to be found and was actually denying Jesus. So last week was, has Jesus moved on? Maybe the things that Jesus once saw in Peter, he doesn't see anymore. But maybe he's just going to teach Peter a lesson. 
But Jesus instead just asks Peter, hey, do you, do you love me? Do you still love me? And Peter, with, I think, a renewed humility, says, yes, you know I love you. And Jesus' vision for Peter hadn't changed. His calling for Peter hadn't changed. And he ended that last week, if you remember, by telling him, Peter, you following me is going to kill you. Peter, if you follow me, you will be crucified. And then the last two words of that section, he says, follow me. Peter, this is what's going to happen to you, and it's worth every second of it, and I want you to follow me. So that's where we were at last week. I thought there was a lot of really powerful things that the Lord did in our midst around that, about the cost of following him, the beauty of following him, the call to follow him. So verse 20, where we're at today, verse 20 of chapter 21 is Peter's first response to what Jesus has just said in saying, follow me. Look at verse 20 of John chapter 21. It'll be on the screen too. Uh, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Verse 21. When Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Peter's just been told, if you follow me, you will be crucified. If you follow me, you will be crucified. And Peter asked Jesus, how about John? Is John's experience going to be the same experience as mine? And I think it's crazy that that's the first thing that Peter says. Peter could have said, when? Could you let me know when this is going to happen? I'd like to prepare myself. I'd like to prepare my family. Could you let me know when this is going to happen? Peter could have asked him, Jesus, like, could you give me some advice? How should I carry myself? Uh, should I fight a little bit? <laughs> or should I surrender quickly? Um, like, give me some advice for when the times get really tough. I want to honor you by how I'm going to walk this out. Like, he could have done all of that stuff. But instead, Peter is wondering, will John face the same thing? Are you calling John to such a, such a high bar? And I love that Peter did this. I really do. I mean, I'm not like, it sounds mean to say that, but I love that Peter did this because I do this. <laughs> and I need to see where this is taking Peter. And that's one of the beauties of this book and the honesty of it. If you were just making up some story, you would not provide any of these things. You would, you would whitewash it. You would make it just seem uh, too good to be true. And in many senses, it, it, it feels too good to be true when we hear of all that we've get, been given in Christ, but we see the truthiness of it, so to speak, because of how rooted it is in reality. And Peter says what he says because we would say the same thing, and we say the same thing. 
In the middle of receiving so much love from Jesus, in the middle of receiving so much grace from Jesus, Peter is also wondering, how about John? What are you going to do with John? Maybe it's, it's, it's possible, maybe Peter's just curious. Okay, I've heard from you. I'm interested in this guy. And we don't, when we last saw them, when, when there was a last, a, a statement about setting, they were all sitting down having breakfast by the shore on the Sea of Galilee. And now they're walking. And you even see that like Jesus, he, ne- he doesn't shame people. He doesn't call people out unless it needs to happen in a certain area. So at some time, Jesus went on a walk with Peter, just the two of them. But then other people seem to be following and maybe just ready for whatever was going to happen. So Peter, maybe out of curiosity, but also possibly Peter has just stepped into the supreme danger of comparison. Supreme danger of comparison. And we indeed follow, we, we do follow the same Jesus we follow the same Jesus. There are tons of moral aspects that, that we all hear the same thing. Be holy because I am holy. That's true for everybody following Jesus. There are so many things that are collectively true for all of us in our walk with Jesus. And at the same time, the path that Jesus leads each of us down is utterly unique. The path that Jesus calls each of us into is completely unique. We all experience trials, refining fires, but the nature of those trials is unique. And I thought Jody didn't know where we were going. I thought that the Lord led Jody into praying into that even for for Mother's Day. Some examples. For some, following Jesus' way means a life of singleness for some. For some, following Jesus' way, equally radically, leads to marriage. I, I had the privilege in Oklahoma City, uh, being a pastor there for, for a while, of officiating the wedding of two people where they were the first people in their entire family tree to ever be married. And so when they both met Jesus, Jesus taught them about marriage. And, and so for some, following Jesus means being married. For some, following Jesus means being single. For some, following Jesus' way takes them to the conviction of homeschooling. For others, following Jesus' way just as closely leads them to, the, to be on mission in the public school system. Can I get an amen from Mr. Grandin? <laughs> it's, uh, and it's amazing to have people called to both things in their following of Jesus' way for them and their family. For some, following Jesus means becoming an ordained pastor. For some, following Jesus means being an ordained plumber equally called by Jesus 
to the vocation that he has led you into for his purposes. One is not more holy than the other when you're following his way for you. For some, following Jesus' way leads them to give away everything they have. For others, following Jesus' way might mean that you actually save money for the first time in your life as you learn from him, both following his way. For some people, and this is so fascinating, for some people, following Jesus very closely leads them to prison. I, Patty and I spent some time with some really close friends of ours a couple weeks ago that we've known for decades. And there was a whole season where he would uh, be imprisoned in the country that they lived for telling people about Jesus. So for my buddy, him following Jesus closely led him to prison. For other people, following Jesus very closely leads them out of prison. <laughs> Peter asks Jesus, what about John? Will John suffer the same way as me? Will John be crucified too? Verse 22 is Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. It, just, it makes me laugh. It's like, man, we can twist things so easily um, that even a common statement like just got twisted here even. But verse 23, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, what's fascinating is the guy writing this is the guy who received that. So it's, you know, he's clearing up like, I know what I heard. I know what was said to me. And what was said to me uh, is, is, it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? So a few things not to miss here. First, Jesus doesn't want Peter to go down the road of comparison. He just doesn't. He doesn't take the bait he doesn't enter into some long conversation about, about this is what I'm calling this person to, this is what I'm calling this person to, let me justify myself before you. He doesn't do any of that. He just, he just says, I'm going to call the shots here. Peter doesn't need to know what Jesus has planned for John. He doesn't. He gets to know John and love John and walk shoulder to shoulder with John but Jesus alone knows the future for John. Jesus alone knows the future for Peter. If he wants to share a little snippet of the future, he can with us. But he's not entitled, or you know, we're not entitled to hear that from him. And it doesn't mean, Lord, help us embrace this. And I joked in our prayer, either the thunder is maybe God's like, yes, I'm backing up everything he's saying. Or it's maybe the opposite. I'm disagreeing with everything he's saying, or it's neither, <laughs> or both. So there we go. Welcome to our culture of uh, all possibilities. Um, but no, as a, as a side, it does not mean that Jesus loves John more than Peter. 
It, it doesn't mean that. If you watch Peter being crucified, can you guys hear me okay? Okay. If you, if you watch Peter being crucified, we can't say, oh, Jesus must not love him like the guy who's sitting here. Okay. Jesus, it doesn't mean Jesus' call means he loves one more than another. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with Peter in these comparisons. Jesus is calling the shots for his purposes with the mission that he's unleashed for our eternal salvation. And Jesus is calling the shots and we get to watch him work as he is empowering each to do what he is calling each to do. He gets to send us on mission, the mission that he has for each of us, and he has one for each of us. It doesn't matter what you've done, what's been done to you, when what Jesus did is what defines you, he has a mission for all of us, and it's clear and it's not confusing to him. And what he wants Peter to hear, and he says it again, what he wants Peter to hear is, you follow me. That's what he wants Peter to be thinking about. That's what he wants Peter to think about when he thinks about everybody around him, is I want you to follow me, that's it. Just worry about following me. Don't worry about the difference in experience between your calling and the calling of someone else. A second thing not to miss in this passage is don't miss the importance of Jesus speaking about his second coming. Notice where he said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, Jesus mentions it in passing, but he mentions it as a sure reality. I'm coming back. I mean, there's no question about it. And he's like, if, if John's going to stay here until I come back, why do you care? And this is a very clear place that Jesus talks about coming back, his second coming, and how that fits into our lives. And it should actually be something we think about. It should be a part of our thinking that he is coming back. And uh, lastly, third, one thing just not to miss about this is uh, we do know that John did eventually die. So John, John is not like still alive living in some cave somewhere. And, you know, when Jesus comes back, John will, will kind of come out and show himself. Um, like John did die but, and he was the only disciple who didn't die as a martyr, uh, besides Judas. But he was the only one who died of old age, was John. But it didn't mean that he lived a life of ease. Uh, we know from church history that John was banished many times from his church community, from even the community he lived. Um, in addition to writing John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he wrote the book of Revelation while he was exiled on an island, living in a cave. So, uh, so John didn't live this life of ease. And then also John suffered in seeing all of his friends be killed before him. You know, so I, I don't think John would even, and there are stories about ways that people did try to kill him that may or may not have been accurate stories. Um, but, uh, John's walk with Jesus was, uh, was a challenging one for sure. Um, but Jesus just says, let me worry about all of that. 
I want you to worry about following me. Don't worry about anybody else's calling. You follow me. Then verse 24. I wonder if uh, this might be like the most thunderstorm some of our kids have gone through without like nestling up against parents, you know? So we'll see what church is like. So let's like thank the leaders of kids' church, especially uh, maybe after this for being like, wow, good job. Took one for the team on that one. Um, Maybe it'll be a a huge, maybe it'll tie into the lesson this week. Um, But verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So very, verse 24 is really unique. It's kind of like a speed bump. You got to really slow down and look at what's happening here. Um, there are several good theories about this verse, and especially it's around the idea of why he said, we know that his testimony is true. John's testimony is true. So some think that this verse was actually written by the original elders the original church leaders who received this letter. So John writes a letter. He writes the book of John. He sends it to the, the first recipient, the church. And when the church received it, they added verse 24 to say, we absolutely know that this is true. We know that John wrote this. We know him. We know the things he's writing about. And we know that this is all true is a a possibility uh, for, as this letter is being passed throughout the Roman world, that uh, as like an additional, like, this is so important, and it's so important for everybody to know the truthfulness of this. Uh, Another solid thinking is that John is just writing this in the third person. And there's evidence of this in other letters in the New Testament as well, uh, which John could write it and say, hey, we all know that I experienced this. We all know that, that I'm giving correct testimony, and we all know that this testimony is true. So, like, all the people that are around me are testifying to this so that you may know that it's true. Uh, and then such a famous statement... Look at the last verse in the book of John. Verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And I just imagine John, maybe candlelight, sitting you know, no electricity, but he's sitting somewhere. Uh, maybe he's exiled, maybe he's not exiled, but it's his way looking over the gospel that the Holy Spirit has empowered him to write. You know, how do you end such a magnificent gospel? How do you end writing about what Jesus said and Jesus did? And I love that he ends by saying, this is not all Jesus said. <laughs> this is not all Jesus did. If I actually was able to write everything Jesus said and did, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Not saying like Super Walmart, even if they took out everything and it was all books, it's saying like there's not enough like square footage on planet earth to contain those volumes. And one of the reasons for that is that Jesus is eternal. 
humans are immortal. So meaning that humans begin and never end. So people die, but all people exist forever, either in heaven or hell. So once a person is created, they exist forever. That's true of humanity. What makes God, not, not the only thing, but one of the things that makes God utterly unique is that he, is, he alone is eternal, which means he has no beginning. So humans have no end. God has no end and no beginning. He goes as far back into the past as he goes in the future, which is not true of us and is true of him. And so volumes could be written at any moment of his eternal existence. Conversations happening among the Trinity 400,000 years ago or whatever it may be could all be written down. It could be written down as he designs mathematics and all that happened behind the scenes in designing a world in which mathematics would be truth statements. As creator, he designed trees. He thought the Himalayas and brought them into existence. The volumes that could be written in each and every subcategory of his thoughts, his words, his action. If everything worthy to write about Jesus was written, John supposes the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Although John admits that this is just a fraction of what Jesus did and said, what was written down, here's the reality for us. The fraction is incredible. Even though he could have written so much more in so many different areas, what he did write is worthy of many more than 54 weeks, worthy of our lives to keep circling around, meditating upon, learning from, being redirected, being taught. And in wrapping up the series, let's go back to the previous chapter, chapter 20. We've looked at this verse uh, a couple times, but it's the time in the book of John why, when John says, this is why I wrote this book. John 20, starting in verse 30, says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So even what Jesus did among the disciples, John is saying, I didn't write all that stuff. I didn't write everything. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. That's why sometimes like Matthew, Mark, and Luke include things that John doesn't. It's not because they were, they, you know, they're making it up or Jesus didn't really do that stuff and they're just kind of guessing at stories. It's because each of them are, are writing to a unique audience with unique purposes together. It's like a compass. You have north, east, west, and south. Like together, it encompasses all the directions that we need for what Jesus did and what Jesus said. So John starts by saying in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I, I love that. So simple in the fog of war, in the fog of just so many things that happen in life. It's saying, hey, here's what I want you to get out of this book. I want you to get out of it 
I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's not his last name. It means he's the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the one that all of the Old Testament has been about, all of the prophecies has been pointing to. He is the Messiah. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, not just a man though, the Son of God. As Colossians tells us, in him all of the, the fullness of deity is pleased to dwell. These are written that may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and it's not an intellectual experience. It's not just an intellectual project. It's not just answering the right way in Bible trivia. It's actually radically affecting our lives, which are that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. And so the first, just as we process and as we receive all that we've received in this book, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And it can be as radical as saying, okay, I'm believing for the first time today. I'm putting my trust in Jesus for the first time. I've, I've heard about him. I've been around people who talk about him. Um, but, you know, the demons know Jesus is real. Satan believes Jesus is real, but Satan doesn't say, he's my savior. I, I believe him as my savior. Um, so would you go from maybe just, uh, okay, I don't, I'm not an atheist, to actually say like, no, I, I believe that he is my Messiah. I believe that he is the Christ. I believe that he's the one that was to come to save me from my sin. And, and I believe he's God. I believe he's the son of God. Would you believe that for the first time today? Or as Peter's conversation with Jesus, do you love him? Do you believe it in a fresh way today? Do you believe, believe him today? And then second, by believing, will you find your life in him? There's so many things we can try and find life in. Oh, I mean, there's anything you can, I mean, I've got hobbies that I enjoy doing. And if you go deep into that hobby, you know, you're trying to find your life there. You're, you're trying to not just be identified by that, but you're, you're hoping that fills your tank. You're hoping it gives you all of the pleasure that, that you're yearning for. You know, and there's so many, everything, anything would say, hey, I will be your life. I'll be your life. And John is saying, do not be deceived. Do not let those things woo you away from him. By believing in him, you actually find the life that you are designed to find, the life that you're be, you've been yearning for that we would find it in him through these pages and as we relate with him. Would we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and would we find life in his name? One of the ways that he designed for us to do this is communion. Communion was, all of this, we don't want to turn to religious things. We want to turn to him. We don't want to just be like, oh, those were nice thoughts about a faraway Jesus. We instead want to actually meet with him this morning. We want to be met by him. We want to together look to him, worship him, hear from him, respond to him. And communion itself is not us doing that because Jesus is not 
in one sense, like when you drink a cup, you aren't drinking Jesus. What, what this is doing is as we eat the bread and we drink the wine, juice, obey your conscience there, it's a way that he is tangibly letting us commune with him, feel his presence, affirm, yes, he gave his life for me. Yes, he shed his blood for me. And I'm meeting with you right now, Jesus, because you are alive and well. And in this moment, collectively, we are worshiping you in this way. So the, the warnings in scripture are don't run to this table, but run to Jesus. And we typically do that here through prayer, is to spend some moments running to him in prayer. If it's giving your life to him, if it's letting him uh, form some things in you, if it's letting him encourage you, if it's needing to repent of things, do all of that. Run to him, and then we'll come to the table together. And so uh, just come down the center aisle. Um, Scott and Jody will tear off the, the bread and we'll hand it to you so you can just ha have your hands out, take wine or juice, and then remain standing at your seats, and then we'll take it together as family. So let's respond to him.